Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Before we begin, this podcast conversation is between adults and contains a little adult language. So if you have little ones near you, you might want to use your headphones. The guest on today's podcast is David Sonator. David is a psychotherapist in private practice in New York City and Fairfield County, Connecticut, and co-founder of the Equus Effect, a nonprofit dedicated to helping combat veterans with PTSD and other service-related problems rebuild healthy relationships with themselves and others, both concurrent to and following their service. He developed his clinical skills working with inmates in the New York State Correctional System and outpatient clients at the Psychiatric Clinic of St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City. As a graduate of the Epona Quest program in Tucson, Arizona, David began complementing his diverse clinical skills within the context of equine experiential learning and other body-based interventions, such as somatic experiencing, the work of Peter Levine. Merging the innate prey dynamics of horses and their capacity to build resilience in the face of trauma with an insightful understanding of how the human species has evolved away from such instinctual resourcing capacities, David offers a nature-based, non-medical approach to promoting accessible and sustainable tools for self-inspired nervous system regulation. Using his platform as a freelance writer, blogger, TV and radio guest, and corporate and public speaker, David further shares his unique insights, perspectives, and solutions to help individuals create lives lived by design rather than by default. Welcome to the podcast, David. I'm so delighted to have you here and looking forward to our conversation. Oh, Ursula, my pleasure, truly. What is it that drew you to this business that you have right now in particular? You have an un unusual blend of the Equus component with uh, kind of more mainstream counseling, it sounds like, that you started with. How did that evolve? Well, um, seemingly separate, um, but, you know, it's all since culminated into this this thing that we have going on here. Um, you know, I, you'd have to saddle up for this one because it's going back 20 years when this all started. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it literally, I guess, like most uh, most of my favorite horse stories, this one started in Montana. Um, I had spent some time out there back in the mid-90s. And just serendipitously ran into some of the people that Nicholas Evans had modeled the horse whisperer after and um, started paying a lot of attention uh, and not even sure why. I mean, it always had this dormant, you know, interest and passion for horses. I mean, as a kid, I would, you know, ride a fence line and, and you know, put fake saddles on things and just always pretend to be doing it. But, you know, the part of the country that I came from, it wasn't accessible, uh, at least not to, to me. So um, it always had been there. Um, but at this point, it, it just there was something else going on with it as I watched um, these people do this work. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people were drawn to that book and that film uh, for reasons that they can't quite explain. Um, but I, I had felt a similar pull. So I, I spent a little time watching them, getting to know them, actually befriended some and uh, got to spend a lot of time watching the clinics. And, you know, I, I found this really interesting thing happen that uh, people would show up with their quote unquote messed up horses. Um, and a lot of work would be directed toward the the owners of those horses and um, the horses would get better. Uh, it was really kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. it, it almost looked like a clinical setting at times. And um, while there's a lot more to it than that, um, it seemed to be something that stuck with me. Um, so I, uh, I continued in that direction and just couldn't get out of it. I mean, I was a film editor at the time. Uh, I already had this capacity um, 
you know, I had a couch in a room uh, with an editing machine and people in the post-production process were always losing their minds because money had run out and <laughs> people were crying and, and there was all kinds of upset and things like that going on. So I would basically have my chair facing in the other direction toward the couch. So, you know, I just basically in my office removed the editing machine and I'll sit there and do what I did much of the time when I was working as a film editor, just <laughs> helping people get back grounding and re regulating their nervous systems and just reminding them that this is... Um, most of the time PR, not ER. So it, it really, <laughs> it really changed things uh, for me in seeing it from that perspective. But then adding this horse piece, it really felt like a, quite a, a departure from where I was. And I, I kind of needed it at that time. Um, so uh, I started doing all kinds of things, uh, following people around, going to different clinics, you know, riding quite a bit myself. And I remember, um, there's a really great horsewoman out there. Her name was, uh, name is Leslie Desmond and she was doing clinics around the area. And we had gotten to talking, um, in between two horse trailers at one point. And, um, she was really encouraging that, uh, there's something you got to do with horses. And she was very frank in that, you know, you can't train them cause you're too old. And you, you know, the way you ride scares me. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> She goes, but you know, you got something and, uh, I don't know what it is, but it feels like what you're doing right now with me is, is someplace that might suit you. And I didn't know what that meant. So I just started, um, I think, uh, it was actually as Seth Godin mentioned in one of your, um, in one of your interviews that, uh, you just keep doing the work that's in front of you, mm -hmm. do the work, do the work, you know, let the outcome be there when you get there. Cause you never quite really get there. Um, and I did that. So I followed it. Um, you know, I wish I knew Seth was back then because I would have been able to have some validation about what I was doing because right. the man the man knows quite a bit. So, But I just was doing it anyway. I just followed and I ended up uh, training to do um, you know, physical therapy and massage work on horses um, and uh, brought that back home um, into the New York area and uh, found a couple barns that would entertain the idea of me practicing uh, this work. And um it was it was really this story of this one horse um, who was owned by a, a really um, I, I just would call him a high profile uh, business owner. <laughs> Let's just say that I don't want to give out any names, but um, he had a racehorse that he was struggling with a bit, and um, I showed up there. Uh, and as can often happen in New York, I, I was a forty five minute car ride that took three hours on the Long Island Expressway trying to get out to where the farm was. Mm -hmm. So um, I brought a lot of negative energy into that corral when I went there that morning. And, um, you know, they were all watching. The pressure was on. This was a big client. Could have meant a lot for me. And I was angry, road rage, all of that stuff about getting stuck in traffic. And, you know, I, I got out of the car and I put on this big smile and walked in feeling kind of confident, gave a very short apology for having been late, blamed Long Island traffic, and, and then went in there and, and uh, got in the uh, corral with the horse and... Um, you know, did what I was trained to do. I, I clipped a lead rope to his halter and tied a very loose slip knot to the um, fence uh, line and, and just started doing my strokes on him. But I, I, before I could barely touch him, this horse reared, pulled the fence out and uh, came down, tried to bite my shoulder, which was odd for a horse to try to do. But then he bucked and then bolted off to the other end of the paddock. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, boy. Um so much for the image that I was projecting. And I walked <laughs> over to the end of the corral that was facing away from everybody and facing toward the woods. And I guess I'd had enough. I guess I'd, I'd put so much into this. It had been such a long journey getting there and it got overwhelming. And, um, you know, it's a hard story to tell, uh, but it, the truth of the matter was, is I started crying. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't really stop it. So it, it just started coming out. And probably about a minute of that, I, I heard um, some footsteps kind of moving the gravel and, uh, you know, hoof steps, I should say. And um, this horse had burrowed his nose in the back of my shoulder blades. Uh -huh. And um, I, I didn't know what was going on, but there he was. And, of course, the lead rope was still hanging from his halter. So I picked that up, walked him over, and then I did the full body work session I was there to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know what that was. So uh, I, somebody I had shared that story with said, uh, it sounds like that stuff Linda Kohanov does. Linda Kohanov is an author of Tao of Equus, and she runs an incredible training program for people interested in this work. She's out in Arizona. So I actually uh, read the book up to page 68, put it down, and call, tried to call her. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> at the time, she was at, at this uh, barn um, 
I'm not really sure. It was kind of in a, a transitional place for her. And, and she actually picked up <laughs> or she she actually answered the phone when somebody said somebody wants to talk to you. And I, I thought that was amazing. And she said, you should look into our program. So I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it really changed everything. It, 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 it What I was came to learn is that this piece of congruence um, that I wasn't displaying when I first got to this farm, I was angry. Um, I was frustrated. I was actually vulnerable. I was sad that I was looking ridiculous, um, or at least having failed even before I started. Um, but yet I was smiling and, uh, I was trying to be confident and with horses as prey animals, they see that disconnect of what your body is doing on the inside versus what you're presenting on the outside as predatory. Mm -hmm. It's threatening. Um, so I showed up incongruent and the horse reacted in the way that he did. And it wasn't until I actually let out the emotional part of what I was experiencing that he felt safe enough to come over to me. And I, I said, wow, um, you know, I just got therapy here, didn't I? So, um, (laughs) it really became an interesting piece. Now, you know, I was content to go on doing the work that I had learned with Linda, which was doing a workshops with groups of people and um you know just getting them to have good experiences either with their horses or with the horses that we had at the farm and um it wasn't until i was down into your hometown of Asheville that uh, i i had an experience of working with somebody who had a real remarkable shift and uh at the end of it you know because she had been through uh, quite a bit as a child and we were having a talk because we were trained to do so much and then at that point, it was time to refer her on to therapy because of the traumatic background she had experienced. Um, and she had said, uh, no, um, I want to do this with you. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I, uh, I, I said, well, I can't. I'm not trained to do that, and, and nor do I live here, and it's going to be quite difficult, and, and, and um, it's, just, um, it's not ethical. I can't. Um, but I didn't feel good about saying that, and I had to come home. And I had had a conversation with my wife about what had happened down there. And um, I said, I, I, th- I think I got to get this other piece in, in place because I, I, I don't like leaving this where it is. And uh, when I looked into what was going to be required of finishing an undergrad and, and get going to grad school and, and doing you know, internships and, and postgraduate training, it just looked like a daunting um, commitment you know, 10 plus years. And I was just like, I can't do that. Um, that's just not going to be happen. I don't be able to happen. And my wife was kind enough to offer me some advice, which was, uh, well, just start. And I just started and then here I am, um, <laughs> having eclipsed that other place. Now that just takes me up to around 2008 or so. Um, but you can see the journey was pretty long with lots of uh, dips and valleys in between. But and then, then this new thing started with uh, being able to work with veterans and uh, while I have the private practice. But that's the background, chapters one through seven, maybe. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's what you were getting get, looking for here, but um, th- that's how I got to that point. Um, and now from there, I was able to create what's happening now, which um, maybe you want to get a little more specific about uh, with your questions on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean... You know, I think what's so intriguing is that your path and many other people's paths are, it's not a straight line. It's a a kind of a winding path and you go off on what might look like a detour, but it actually takes you somewhere entirely new. And that your, your story is a, a great example of that, of really just following your interest in horses and then your experience with the, the racehorse and, and what happened there and and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and the horse really responding to that it's a really powerful personal experience of what you've been able to bring to your work since then um yeah i mean i I don't it's funny when you talk about uh, prey animals and i I know some people that do tracking work uh with wild animals and Mm -hmm. and they they seldom move in a straight line as a matter of fact they never move in a straight line they're always moving about and there's some kind of agreement that we have with nature to do just that and I think that, you know, contemporary culture, uh, we've, while technological advancements can be something uh, of a benefit, um, I, I think the further and further we move away from the natural world, the more we tend to suffer because we are still, the original blueprint has us working with that um, that natural world. Uh, so, you know, that's part of what this next chapter was about. Um, where 
where do we take this next? Where do we have an impact? Because a lot of what we were doing, as I mentioned, uh, the person I, I worked with experienced trauma. Um, you know, a, a lot of people uh, that we were working with, at-risk youth, uh, people in domestic violence situations, you know, it all had a traumatic uh, overtones. But then um, I met up with my partner, Jane Strong, who had also been through the Opponent Quest training. And, um, you know, we were just able to look at one another and look at this work and, and see what, what is the next place for this. And um, as kids, both of uh, World War II veterans, um, it made it kind of made sense to look at this other uh, issue that wasn't getting addressed. Because if you remember right around 2008, the troop drawdowns began. Um, I think the estimation, and, and again, these numbers have to be rechecked and rechecked again, but some 800,000 people they were estimating were coming back, 20% of which had some kind of post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, the suicide rates were 22 a day and continue to be 22 a day. Mm-hmm. And and there's a belief that even those are uh, underestimated for uh, various reasons. Um and also military sexual trauma being somewhere around 33%. Mm. And that's not just with women, it was with men too. Um, so we saw this segment of the population that if uh, that wasn't being necessarily addressed. I mean, but the Walter Reed stuff was happening. You know, how we were taking care of our veterans was becoming into question. And I always remembered something that my dad had said. He really felt for these post-9-11 veterans and also Vietnam veterans. He said, because I was in hell. This is the way he put it. I was in hell. I was in the Battle of the Bulge. It it couldn't have been more awful. But I I really did come home to a parade and a GI Bill and an entire country that sacrificed. My, My sister worked in a furniture factory where they were making bullets and my mm-hmm. wife was doing uh care packages and there was just people were connected to it and i think that's the problem now is coming back we're kind of off and running in this direction that these people have afforded freedom to do so and uh forgetting to pay attention to what's happened to them as a result of coming back so we couldn't help but think that if this stuff is working with other traumatic backgrounds maybe this could be something that would help this situation and um but it wasn't as easy as just doing what we were doing. We really had to go back to square one. We had to design this program from the veteran experience up because it's so unique. It's so unique to what we have going on here because for us, we um, we have expectations that when we get up in the morning, we're going to make it to the end of the day or the week or the year. I mean, we make retirement accounts. And, you know, right. We have pretty good expectations of survival. Right. Um, whereas uh, out in, in country, um, there's there's this new way of adapting that I might not make it through the end of the day. Right. You know, you're you're both predator and prey, and it's really this prey dynamic that is so functional. It's kept horses on this planet as a species for over 55 million years, mm. and they're they're relatively unchanged. They they've changed in size, but certainly how they respond to the environment and how they protect themselves and ensure their survival is still pretty well encoded the way it was designed and. That is by, if you look at a prey animal, you start noticing some things. You know, we're predators, cats, dogs, you know, eyes on the front of our heads. We we have focus direct as predators. Um, we're also prey, but we don't experience that much anymore. But when you're dealing with a strict prey animal, um, impalas, zebras, and we've worked with zebras before. It's mm-hmm. quite, quite a trip. Yeah. But um, I've been to the, I've been to Africa myself, and uh, that's an amazing environment. It's amazing you can work with zebras because uh, I understand they're not that approachable. No, they're very wild, and um, this one was becoming part of a horse herd, and you know, wow. and and growing and growing every day into that place because they they do know how to connect interspecies, which is why we're able to connect uh, the work that we do with veterans in an interspecies way. Mm. Um, they're just looking for a couple of things. And again, their, their makeup, it's all about sensing the environment because we need to know if the environment is safe or not. Their eyes are on the side of their heads um, and they can see up to 340 degrees around them. Uh, their ears swivel 170 degrees. They can hear bilaterally so they can pick up a sound over there and then process a different sound coming the other direction. They are completely uh, designed for sensing an environment and what was happening with a lot of the veterans coming back and you'll hear these stories where they'll have to you know the families will do a well-meaning thing by taking them out to dinner and celebrating but they'll have to have their back to the wall and see the door see the kitchen door see all the movement the windows you know so when we get them around the horses whether they know it or not immediately 
instinctually they know that if the horse is calm the environment is safe and for many that's the first time they get to feel that because this idea of being able to regulate the nervous system gets overridden by military training you're really what you're trying to do is be hyper vigilant um, and get people to act even in the face of extreme danger Exactly. Rather than fight or flight. And all of these things get stored in the body and they come back here. And I think, you know, that's the difficult thing is that, you know, coming back here, it's, we don't, those things don't necessarily work. Hypervigilance gets looked at as crazy um, or broken. And um, I remember having this conversation with a a colleague and and friend and a just a really brilliant coach who does this inner wilderness tracking. The guy taught me how to do a build a fire from nothing. And you know, I just really talk about connecting to the natural world. His name is Michael Trotta. And we were having this mm-hmm. conversation about, um, uh, the veterans coming back, you know, everybody calling them broken. We even had somebody actually say that, why do you want to work with this population? They're so broken. And I never, I remember how I felt viscerally hearing that it upset me inside, uh, in such a way that I said, well, I I better look into this because this is a big reaction that I'm getting. And the truth is, and this is kind of something Michael and I came up together, uh, during a conversation that, um, they're not broken, but they're returning to a somewhat of a broken culture. Mm. Um, I think it originally went to returning to a broken culture. I had to add the word somewhat because, you know, there's a lot of people doing good. And, and I think you're highlighting a lot of that work, um, which, it, you know, good for you. So thank you for that. But I, you know, I, we got to this point of where we stopped looking at it as broken, start introducing them to the, how the horses see the world and see that it is actually quite natural these methods of survival these these things that they have intact right now are so important to us as a a species and an organism that's born to survive you know so again it's it's taking the 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 disease model away uh from this whole thing or or the disordered model away from the whole thing and kind of looking at something that's more important i mean so powerful is that they understand what it's like to be in a unit much like horses are in a herd For instance, they learn this notion that the survival of the individual depends on the survival of the unit or for the horses, survival of the horse depends on the survival of the herd. So Mm -hmm. everybody's working toward this community, this group um, where they come back here and it's very competitive. People are one on one against each other, trying to one up and and compete. You know, again, not everybody, but it's certainly uh, different in that regard. So it feels unsafe right out of the gate. Sebastian Younger uh, has a great book out now called Tribe. I don't mind mentioning it because he talks about how this experience of the veterans, uh, they've learned how to be more like our original blueprint, which is to be community, mammals working together toward a cause. And we feel safer in that regard. Um, And he's also contending in his book, and I would agree with him wholeheartedly, that uh, much of what's troubling us psychologically as a culture uh, is that same thing. We're not not working together the way we're designed to work together. So a lot of people are suffering. Well, and I, I, I agree with you, Michael, about this idea of people not be people are not broken. It's really about finding their way and and having the level of connection that you've been able to establish in your work and other people have as well to help them reconnect with themselves and their own inner um, inner voice. They're they're listening to themselves and and really being able to be authentically themselves even after an experience like that and and um, even after having that level of training that they've had to ignore those inner signals so yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. is is it important to you to have impact with your business i i you know the the idea of impact as i'm defining it at least is that it's about making a positive contribution. It's about bringing uh, something into the world that is contributing in some way, and it involves your own legacy. Is that is that important to you, and, and why? How so? How is it important? Um, maybe it's an ancillary benefit. Um, I, I, you know, I never really set out to do. Um, uh, I guess anything specific in terms of, of an outcome. Um, again, this is part of just moving with the work that's in front of you. Um, uh, my, my dad's stories uh, of World War II and having lived with um, him, who you know, he took it to a very interesting place. He became 
uh, uber creative, responsible, um, you know, and he had great systems for everything. And even our vacations were mapped out like uh, to the to the mile and to the time, you know, so there was a lot of resource that he brought back with it. But, you know, there was this other part of him that we just thought was a personality problem. Um, but it was a lot of anxiety um, mm-hmm. around things and the uncertainty. And um, so I, I guess I had a... Um, a course in what it's like to be around that kind of energy, which, you know, some people are calling uh, PTS. Uh, again, I, I think it's just hypervigilance, um, mm-hmm. which was necessary. But, you know, uh, when I say that it was uh, some sort of benefit outside what we're doing, I mean, we didn't know what was going to happen when we started putting this work together, when we started connecting. It made sense to us, and that's why we pursued it. But it wasn't until we started seeing people do it and how they were doing it and what was happening from the work. And it exceeded our expectations because we started hearing things like, this was the transition from war to peace that I never got, mm-hmm. or this work has reconnected me to my humanity. And you know, those things kind of pushed us forward to the point where now we're starting to hear more from the families, um, uh, wives and husbands uh, of the veterans saying, I, I have my my spouse back. Um, and I can't believe there's things I was afraid to say that I can actually say now I can be vulnerable with them without triggering anybody. Mm. And certainly the children, um, you know, just seeing because children, they, they are, I think they're wired to be, uh, activating, (laughs) um, you know, parents out there will understand that comment. Um, so, there's just so much activation that can happen around just regular day-to-day interaction. And and if you're able to regulate your own nervous system and respond rather than react to it, you're not changing just yourself. You're you're changing this whole system around you. Um, And then how they're going into the world gets affected. Um, You know, it's really remarkable. There's an incredible ripple effect about that, which we're completely humbled by. I mean, when we get these letters or when somebody sends us a pie, you know, we're just, like Mm -hmm. I said, completely humbled. And we'll have fundraisers uh, where we'll bring a lot of the uh, the people back and they'll bring their families and and they'll get up and talk. And and really, that's the most compelling part of it. And, you know, much like we do with the horses, Jane and I just step aside uh, let the work happen. You know, we guide it in a way that's very specific to a curriculum that we've designed. Mm-hmm. Again, that was part of building the program from the ground up. And um, just always maintaining a curiosity about things, you know, not having to be right, not having to be certain. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of organizations that um, haven't done that. They, they have actually tried to make what they're doing for different populations work with the veterans. I mean, it's certainly convenient. Um, but there really has to be an understanding of a lot of the things that I've mentioned here, which is the, the makeup of the horse, um, what happens to the individual when they're put through boot camp and then put in combat situations. Um, and it has to be respected. Um, for it to be understood and for trust to develop. And that's one of the things our work doesn't really happen without trust. And, you know, day one, day two, and we always have a week in between days just so stuff can marinate a little bit. But, you know, by the time we get from week one to week two, they're just starting to move toward trust. And then the the horses really do help with that because uh, there's no agendas, there's no judgment. And once they can see by around week three that that's not happening with us either, and we're not horses, we're humans, um, then the work can really take hold. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have them come back five times. Um, It's long enough to create a big shift for them, but it's not long enough for them to become dependent on the program because it's not about the horses is what they ultimately come to learn. Mm -hmm. It really is about how you can work a 1,200-pound animal um, by regulating and and activating and, and discharging all the stuff that's going on in your own body. Certainly this piece about becoming congruent because, you know, the toughness factor, you know, you can't show certain things and emotions become this just burden. Um, and people end up living in the intensifications of these, you know, for instance, if you're not dealing with anger at its core, um, it becomes rage. And mostly what people end up seeing is rage. And then you're just looking at people like they're broken. But the truth is, is all of these emotions, and we do a didactic piece in our program that differentiates between fear and vulnerability, or what's the difference between anger and frustration and agitation. And we take all these pieces apart. Once they're, the horses do their work, which is 
regulating the nervous system and getting these people grounded back to homeostasis or what the horses would view as grazing, they're able to take on this information because when you're threatened, the brain's not working like it normally should. Mm -hmm. Neither is the stomach, which is probably why a lot of GI problems, you know, you end up in this fight or flight mentality, which is really sending adrenaline to your limbs with nowhere to go because there is no physical threat in the environment. So we calm that, we get that back to a place of where there's actually an opportunity to send didactic information into the brain. We are still cognitive beings, so we do learn cognitively. So it's amazing how this stuff sticks and shifts uh, for people. It's the tools that they use bringing back you know, into, into their lives. And again, they fail first and then come back and tell us what happened. And they go back and they, <laughs> they tr treat, they integrate it slowly over the period of time. And, and that's, right. what's really got them to the point of where they can experience a change. Well, and that's really speaks to how you, the work that you do has such an important impact with, with that uh, group and, and the people that you're working with and that post-traumatic situation. You, you also uh, work with people in a way to uh, create lives by design. What do you think is the impact with those people? Well, you know, I, I continue the work that we do with the veterans now up until this point, it's, it's all been pro bono. So uh, I do have my private practice in, in mm -hmm. Fairfield County and out in New York City. And I also do coaching work over the phone. So I, I bring a lot of what's happening in the round pen um, in, into the clinical setting. And that's been a tough bridge to build. But I was forced to build that a while ago back when I was working with inmates um, because clearly – you know, warden, we're going to take these guys up to a farm. How do you think? You know, that's going to work out. Right. <laughs> it right. doesn't work out. So I, and there was so much trauma in that population that I really, I couldn't, I had to bring it in with me and not only to help regulate myself, um, which was necessary, but to, you know, start introducing these concepts of trust, which were get, you know, obviously getting eroded in the, in, in the prison system. So, um, I, I, I continued that bridge, um, into the clinical practice that I have now in working with people, because it's amazing how a lot of what is seemingly depression, anxiety, panic, um, all connects to some sort of traumatic background. Now, maybe I can't say all, but um, the trauma piece that I really um, uh, experienced quite a revelation in with working with Dr. Peter Levine, he authored a book called Waking the Tiger, which talks about how prey animals, why are they constantly under attack, yet they're not traumatized or not showing symptoms of traumatization. Mm. You know, they've got this incredible way of discharging energy that mobilizes that they don't, if they can run it off from trying to escape a predator, um, then the stuff discharges. But if there's any left, they'll kind of do this. Uh, I know there's like antelopes or impalas do this thing called pronging where they're just jumping straight up in the air mm -hmm. and discharging the energy. Whereas we're forced to deal with things, suck it up. Um, and, and we don't get a chance to discharge a lot of this energy. So he, he talks about, Peter Levine talks quite a bit about how um, trauma is not only in the event, it's also in the body. So what, what that work does, and the work is called the somatic experiencing, um, which I'm trained in, um, it really helped put a scientific uh, element to what we were experiencing with the horses. Because, you know, horses are a hard sell. You know, I've, I've gone to um, pretty... Uh, let's just call them high ranking uh, psychiatric uh, research institutes and had conversations with people. And they just, they, they were, they were surprised first of all, that horses were prey animals. They never heard of such a thing or, or that they did, they forgot. And they were surprised to hear that they were mammals, um, that you know, humans were mammals. You know, if you go to the pet store, you see the reptiles are kind of in this state of shutdown in the tanks where they're just kind of laying there. They don't move. That's the kind of reptilian response to things. Whereas you move over to the puppies and they're all clamoring together in a corner, <laughs> piling all over each other. That's right. we're, we're, we're mammals. We're, can, we're designed for connection. Yeah. And the more disconnection we experience, um, and it becomes, it becomes a spiral because a lot of people are disconnecting because of the way they feel. Um, and the way they feel is because they're disconnected and it becomes a bit of a catch 22. So I, I introduced these concepts in the clinical setting and it's really amazing. It might not be a great business model because here's a, for instance, I had a new client come in a few weeks ago who, um, was having three, four panic attacks a week. And, um, I was just able to separate, um, the fear that was creating the panic from what was really a vulnerability that she was experiencing. Um, and after three sessions, the panic attacks were dis dissipating um, to the point of where there were none to report. Um, and that's, again, something that we 
instinctually have going inside us that we override because socialization has taught us how to kind of demonize emotion when emotion, as Linda Kohanov says, is just information. It's information from the body. And, you know, part of what we present in our work with the veterans is that if you use emotions as information rather than some kind of weakness, uh, you can really move through them quite quickly because if you don't do your emotions, they end up doing you. And then we start looking like these, uh, let's just say damaged people and we can't understand why. And, you know, I, I, I don't prescribe medications. That's not where my training lands, but I do have a lot of people coming off their medications that do come to see me. And, and in that regard, they're able to use these natural to the degree that they can use these natural facilities within themselves to help with that process. Because um, sometimes when we numb the very part of us that could help move us towards a sense of regulation, um, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, we're looking toward the external for help. Now, that's not to say anything negative about how psychopharmaceuticals work. I mean, they're indicated in many situations. But there's some people that feel like, ah, I don't want to do that. And um, so these are opportunities, again, going back to a, a nature-based connection to how we work. And, and just even a simple understanding of it can help the brain relax to the point of where instead of running adrenaline, it's going to run endorphins in, in situations that create vulnerability. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's it's so clear how passionate you are about your work and uh, and how how knowledgeable you are and how clear you are about the the benefits of it and the different environments that you work with people in. I'm I'm really interested to hear about your own experience of the work that you're doing. And uh, just to explore some aspects of of that is, is your business, is it a reflection of your values in any way? The reason I ask that is that I feel that having an impact, making a positive contribution, it's so much about the values, the, the things that you hold as important. So it's kind of a way to, to get a little bit underneath and, and dig a bit deeper into, um, why this work matters to you is do you bring your own values into your work and and what what are the values that you hold as most important um well you know i when when you uh experience um let's just call it high sensitivities growing up you you're you're sensitive to things you're you like connecting with people mm-hmm. um you know i was i, I was born uh into a, a a grieving family. I mean, there was a lot of a loss surrounding my family right at the moment I was born. And as a matter of fact, a few, couple years after. So I, I don't know what that was, but I, I would say that that gave me the ability to be able to sit in other people's discomfort mm-hmm. and, um, and, and value that and really value the people that were able to sit in mine. Um, you know, but then stuff happens. <laughs> you start entering into, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to little league and you start getting competitive and then you start putting on bravado and then you start getting interested in partnering up with people and you become even more of a false self. And then you go to work and then you become even more of a false self. And then you're so far from who you really are by the time you put all these other things, false self systems in place that you kind of have a bit of a breakdown. And, um, I, I'd say that, uh, I was really, uh, extremely successful externally to people people loved what i was doing as a film editor what celebrities did you meet who did you work with and i was dying inside it was it it wasn't me um and uh i'd have to say that it was that journey and that and i i did the technological equivalent of throwing a dart at a map when i (laughs) got myself to montana it's its own story in and of itself how i ended up there but um, I, I used the word serendipitous before. It was total serendipity. I, I ended up in a place, again, right down the road from people that Nick Evans was writing the horse whisperer about and right. got, got curious enough to watch over their fence over three days that they finally came up and said, listen, you're not going away, so why don't you come down and see what we're doing? And uh, I, I guess I really needed it at that point. And, you know, it's once, you, once you're there, once you're at that point in your life yourself, you begin become sensitive to recognizing it in others. And that's how I feel every time a new client walks in the doors, I get to see that. And, um, and rather than shy away from it or feel fear from it or 
demand expectations of it, just be curious about it, to sit with it. And to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, what Seth was saying about do that work that's right in front of you. Um, yeah, I've, I've made that a value because I spent a lot of time um, making what other people value be my values. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I suppose that would have any horse rearing and trying to buck you know, buck in my direction. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, so this truth that happens on the inside, it sounds really great when it's coming from, uh, self-help and Eastern philosophies and things like that. But I mean, the buy-in is really kind of tough when we get so many supplies from the way we interact with society, our social currency. Um, you know, we get paid, we get friends, we get relationships, we get homes, we get cars, we get all this stuff that ultimately really doesn't matter. But when you're fed it that way, you can't be told that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to find out uh, what has to be dismantled in order to get to that place where you are. And, and you know, I, I can't say that this this journey has been really quite successful for the people that I work with. For me personally, you know, it's still a challenge on a, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and uh, but the the currency that comes from again those testimonials from seeing people be interested from you know having top military brass patting us on the back and saying, just please keep up your work. You know, whatever you do, I know it's getting hard, but please keep up your work. It's so important. It's so vital. Yeah, that's great. Uh, It's great to get that feedback. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And the work you do, it's so intense. Are are there things that you do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself in that whole process? Well, that's that's the beauty of working with horses. Because if I show up incongruent or if I show up inauthentic or I'm not taking care of myself, um, they let you know. Right. Um, they're, 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 uh, they're like these 1200 pound biofeedback machines. They're, they're <laughs> natural, natural born lie detectors. So, you know, and we, uh, my partner and I, and, 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 and our volunteers, our staff, we, when we're working, um, with the veterans, we're all in one group and we will start the day out in the barn while the horses are kind of moving around, agitated, curious, all these people walking in, floating mm-hmm. heads, nobody's in their bodies. What is all this mess coming into our barn? <laughs> and we will start grounding. We will start going down into the body. We'll start talking the language of the body because that's how the horses speak to one another. They don't use words. Um, when they're out in the field, obviously yelling to one another, hey, is that a lion over there? You know, It's not going to help them much. They are able to communicate through their bodies. They can sense nervous system uh regulation up to 30 feet away they can sense muscle tone they can muscle tension i should say they can tense they can sense heart rate they can sense respiratory breathing um and they really do cue each other you know it's amazing to watch one horse pick up on something lift their head and then all the other horses lift their heads right after without any indication um that's where the it's it's that phrase I'm sorry, that's where the phrase heads up comes from. You know, so many of what we do comes from horses. But yeah, please. Yeah, so it's that kind of attunement that helps you get in touch with when you're not taking good care of yourself. So how how do you respond to that? Do you do particular practices, meditation or yoga or or is it is it mostly around the work with horses that is your self-care practice? Well, that's one of the tools. And I, I, you know, I'll have to say it right before we started this interview, I was doing it. Um, you know, we do where we kind of get, get the joints lubricated in our body because we often neglect those just by rolling um, and, and rolling your knees and rolling your wrists and the elbows. And that's a nice place to start. But then we'll do a body scan that goes a little deeper. But the whole idea is to get out of the head and into the body. Mm. You know, 90% of how we communicate is not with words. Um, you know, 10% is with words, maybe another 30 is with the inflection of those words, but the rest is all our bodies. And, you know, horses are only communicating that way. That's an important piece of how they're together. So when we do these body scans or the, and in the presence of the horses, what we'll see is that the horses become calm mm-hmm. and quiet. And then we all become a herd because you'll see them all start facing out in different directions away from us, which is kind of what they do in the wild is they're picking up different flanks. And the military really, uh, the military personnel really connect to that. They they see this flanking uh, that's happening, and we we become a herd because we've all gotten grounded in our bodies. And it, that inclusion is, you know, I, you'd have to be part of it um, to help describe it. But it doesn't mean that it has to happen around the horses. Once we get that kind of contract redrawn with our own bodies, um, we can be present 
quite a bit more, uh, paying attention to what's actually happening because right. we can get these signals from people around us. I mean, we respond negatively to incongruence in people. Um, think about a salesperson that you don't particularly like what they're selling, but they're selling you pretty hard. You know, they're probably lying, uh, not to just to demean entire sales, but you know, I'm talking about the used car salesman uh, archetype, you know, just the idea that what they're saying might not be exactly true about what they're selling. And we get agitated. Um, that's an emotion. We actually feel a sense of agitation in our bodies around that. You know, with the horses, it's a very different contract. They, um, because for predators, if we make a mistake, uh, we miss a meal. Um, whereas horses, if they make a mistake, they're dinner. So the mm -hmm. stakes are a lot higher. Right. So they, instead of saying, wow, is this person being incongruent or not? They'll just move out of the way. They'll just go. They'll just go to the other side of the round pen. Or for more domesticated horses that don't feel that ne necessity to flee, they just won't cooperate. So you're actually getting to see uh, that we do very much the same thing. And so we start waking up these kind of dormant things that have gone uh, gone to the back burner because we don't really necessarily need them. Um, but the truth is that we're suffering without them. So why not? Mm -hmm. And that's another important point. Horses are not arbitrary. Um, when you think about, if you go back uh, maybe a hundred or so years, um, before the advent of the car, um, and then you go back to 10,000 years or whatever it was before that, <laughs> just millennia before that, that we were working with them. You know, we, we've been in this long journey with them. We built our civilization on their back. And part of what helped us to do that was the ability to be able to work with them in an effective fashion. For instance, uh, Linda kind of also has a book called Power of the Herd, where she talks about leaders like George Washington, um, who were consummate horse people. The Buddha, consummate horse people, uh, Catherine the Great, Alexander mm -hmm. the Great, all right. these incredible leaders had this ability to be able to work with horses. Um, that it's it's like I said, it's not arbitrary. We've been doing this for a long time, and when you consider the time that we've been away from horses mm -hmm. on a daily basis, whether it's for plowing fields or it's Pony short. Express, it's 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 short it's, time. It's like a it's like a a, a micro uh, meter that just you know. And I think we're kind of suffering without that ability because even though it's my grandfather, so two generations back, he had an ice truck and um, he pulled it with a horse. Um, you know, he had to be a different human being to get that to happen every morning. And whereas we don't really think about much about getting in a car and starting it, there's no interaction, there's no bond, um, mm, right. and there's no consideration of the other person or the other the person we're working with or the other being that we're working with. So it's, it really makes sense. It's part of our history. It's maybe even in our DNA, if that's the correct scientific term, but uh, it's been there for a long time. And uh, I think we benefited from it. Hence the statement I made earlier about the further we move away from the natural world, the more we tend to suffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I agree. I think that that natural connection and connection with animals is so vital for our own well-being. Is, is there an insight or some advice you would share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I, how can I be a positive influence? How can I affect my own environment in, in uh, ways that you've been able to do in your work, what advice would you give them? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to steal from Seth again here. Um, I, I can't say it any other way. I think he said it best. Uh, do, doing your work, doing what shows up in front of you, let go of the outcome, stay present and, and do that work. Um, because I couldn't have written this um, script. And uh, I would love to write a successful ending to it right now, um, you know, just so I could, you know, perhaps uh, calm my own dysregulation that I experience from time to time about doing this. Um, I, I, I would say that that would take you away from the whole process, which is the important part. I mean, I, I've learned so much about myself through this mm -hmm. um, that nobody could have taught me. Um, but just by focusing on doing your work, whatever that is, um, and, and valuing it, um, mm -hmm. not waiting for the world to value it. You know, I also was in the music business for a while and I can remember writing music and being asked to write a certain kind of music because that's what was popular. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was out of music because that was, um, 
my essay bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> you can, and yeah. you just did. Yeah, and I just did. So yeah, maybe you can edit that if you no, had no, to. But I great. mean, I, I had that kind of reaction to it. It was that much of a stop. You know, that's not what I'm doing this for. That's not why I'm doing it. And I, you know, consequently, have met a lot of people um, who are getting out of the arts, who really were chasing a trend. Um, but uh, that doesn't really, really work. Um, uh, because by the time you catch it, it's not a trend anymore. Um, so it really has to come from within for it to be sustainable. Um, you know, you can create some great things on other people's dime. Um, but if it's not yours, you can't sustain it or it becomes too much of a burden and an effort to sustain it. You know, we, um, we're starting to get asked to speak uh, at international organizations and certainly down in Washington, D.C. about our work. And that's important. But anytime we're asked to speak, we don't necessarily need to prepare. And because we were there from the ground up and putting it together, we have all the information we need inside of us. And um, I think that's the part you want. And it's interesting now that we are where we're at, which we still got quite a ways to go um, because we're trying to bring this national because the veterans face it, they're just not in the Northeast. Um, so uh, I think because of that part of going through the process and having it be part of who you are, it's, it's, it's not an effort to speak about it. We don't have to recall. We don't have to do any remembering. Right. We don't have to, mm-hmm. um, whereas uh, other organizations are jumping on board, trying to get on t- board of our moving train. And, um, you know, you just can't do that. It's not yours. Now, can you learn from uh, other uh, systems that are put in place sure. and yeah. and put them out in your own inimitable way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what all these trainings are about. Um, right. And we train people to do this work as well uh, with that. But you got to do your own work while you're at it. And all of that to point to the notion that if it's coming from within you, um, then it's congruent, it's authentic, and therefore sustainable. You yeah. can stick it out a lot longer than you would if you were trying absolutely. to trust other people. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you, David. And thank you so much for joining us today. I, uh, it's clear that you're so passionate about what you do and that you, the work that you're doing is really powerful for the people that you're working with and uh, in so many difficult situations. So um, thank you, for sharing that. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, well, uh, there's a couple of ways, probably two websites that would be important to know. Um, if you're interested in the veteran aspects of our work, uh, it would be www.theequuseffect, T-H-E-E-Q-U-U-S-E-F-F-E-C-T, theequuseffect.org. Um, and my personal website, which will also connect you to that is uh, www.pegasuscreative.com. So Pegasus, Great. P-E-G-A-S-U-S, creative, C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E, one word, uh, pegasuscreative.com. Great. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you again for joining me today. My so, pleasure, Ursula. Thank you for the work that you do. Yeah, you're welcome. I, uh, I, I loved hearing about uh, about what you do, and um, it's a it's a great contribution. So, join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business, so you can have your own impact. Join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.